privilege to share today's scripture with you, which is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Thank you, Susan. May God bless the reading of God's word, and would you pray with me? God in heaven, it is such a honor and comfort to worship you and to think about the people in our church who we miss, to gather together in the way that we can, to hear your Scripture read aloud to pray to you. And I ask now, God, that as, as I offer some reflections on this passage, that your Holy Spirit would be moving in our hearts and shaping us more and more like your Son, Jesus. I pray these things in his name. Amen. So today, we, I, I kind of conclude, this will be the last sermon in this series, Gathering Stones, this idea that God brings people together and builds community and connects us together in Jesus Christ. We've looked at a number of different passages in the Gospels after Jesus' resurrection and his appearances to his disciples. And today, we come to one of those stories, not in the Gospels, but in the book of Acts, and um, this story that is often referred to as Jesus' ascension. And I wanted to make a few um, comments about this story and a few things here that, again, point to the way God brings us together around Jesus. 
key kind of identifying markers of what it means to be a community and what it means to be a Christ follower. So I have just a few observations about this story and what it means to follow Christ and be built up in him. The first is that it's very clear in this story that to be a Jesus follower is to be someone empowered by the Holy Spirit, that you're given the Holy Spirit. In two weeks, so next week we will honor our graduating high school seniors. The following week, last week in the last Sunday in May, I'll be starting a sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and I heard rumors that the Sunday school class will be studying the Holy Spirit as well. So that is, um, that's really, really awesome. In this story, this promise of the Holy Spirit coming on the apostles is given not once, but twice. Jesus tells them twice that they will be given the Holy Spirit. And the thing that stood out to me this week as I um, thought about this passage, reflected upon it, is what Jesus um, says in verse 4. Did you catch this? Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised you. Wait, he says. Wait, wait, wait. Don't try and do anything. Don't go anywhere until you're given the Holy Spirit. And, and, and this is so important for us to remember as Christ followers. So often people will kind of blunder out ahead and they, they know a little bit about Jesus. They know a little bit about the kingdom. They went to a conference and now they're all excited. And, and, and sometimes people run out ahead and jump into action whatever way occurs to them before they were sent by God or saturated in the Spirit. Because Jesus tells them, wait, stay in Jerusalem, have patience, wait for the outpouring of God's Spirit. What a critical perspective. And what hit me as you were reading the passage, Susan, is, is this connection Jesus makes between what it's like to receive the Holy Spirit and what it's like to be immersed in water. John baptized with water. I baptize you with the Holy Spirit. A couple of images have come to my mind this week as I thought about this, in, this important step of waiting for God's Spirit to enter into us and then to send us out. <laughs> did, did everyone at home hear that little thing too? Huh, that's, that's a digital amen, I'm being told. That's fantastic. The first image I have is Martin Luther King Jr. at his kitchen table, cup of coffee sitting on the table. It's way too early in the morning. It's 1956, and he is um, he's exhausted. The, the bus boycotts have been going for a couple of weeks, few weeks now. Rosa Parks and, and her, um, uh, her actions were preceded this moment by a few weeks. And here's what King writes. Uh, he, oh, he had also been receiving multiple death threats for his work and his social justice. I was ready to give up in a state of exhaustion, my courage all but gone, and I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and I prayed aloud. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. 
It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying to me, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once my fears began to go, my uncertainty disappeared, and I was ready to face anything. Another picture uh, that came to my mind, and this is actually a, a literal picture that I've seen, though I, I could not find it anywhere online. And so if anyone knows of the picture I'm going to reference here, or you have it, send it my way. It's a picture of Elizabeth Elliot in prayer. <clears throat> and um, she's, it's a black and white, and she's praying. And as my memory serves me, there's a candle or a, or a lantern on the table and, and a Bible open, and she's in prayer earnest. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of missionary Jim Elliot, who they were, um, they were sent as missionaries by God to Ecuador. And while they were there early on, uh, Jim was killed by the tribal people they were there to kind of serve and minister to. And this picture that I have in my mind of Elizabeth Elliot in prayer was taken after her husband was killed. And she was waiting for what is, the, what is the next step? She was asking God, what am I to do? And if you know the story, God called Elizabeth Elliot back to those same people to bring them the good news of Jesus. It's an amazing story. And that picture of her in prayer is one that comes to my mind as I think of the, the, the apostles waiting for the Holy Spirit. Um, I had the absolute honor of working uh, with Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot's nephew as a research assistant for a year. And we would talk about his aunt Elizabeth every now and again. And, and something that David said to me that I'll never forget um, is he said, you know, Abe, to so many people uh, in certain pockets of people, my aunt was kind of this untouchable saint, kind of this Mother Teresa sort of status. And he said, but to us, she was just Aunt Betty. The truth is, God takes seemingly ordinary people and with the Holy Spirit does extraordinary things. That's what the book of Acts is all about, in fact. When it comes to doing great things for God and great things for Jesus in this world, the starting point is not a mission. The starting point is not to see a need or to see an injustice and respond to it. That is not enough. It's not enough to have great skill or unmatched know-how. It is not a starting point or enough to be saintly or to be remarkable. Those things are not enough. What is needed is that God's people, in order for us to be a healing and restorative presence in the world, is that we would have an anointing of the Holy Spirit to be filled with God's Spirit. That is the source, that is the, the sustaining power of our presence and our work in this world and what it means to follow Jesus so it makes no sense to rush out ahead of God. Instead, let us be patient in prayer until we are saturated in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's 
That's one, one thing that I noticed in this passage. The second is this. Jesus sends his followers out into the world, the whole world, to be his witnesses. And what's interesting to me in this passage is what sparks this talk about being witnesses. Look at verse 6. The apostles say, Has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Uh, It seems like they're still in that kind of old way of thinking, even before his crucifixion. In other words, is now the time, Jesus, when our nation will become the most important nation, the most powerful nation in the whole world? That seems to be what they're asking. Of course, the answer to this question is this. Times and seasons are set by God and God alone. The future is in God's hands, and the timing is not for you to know. This, this, this term, this phrase, times and seasons, the book of Daniel uses this term a lot to talk about the rise and the fall of different nations and different rulers and which nation is in power and, and which nation is about to crumble and this kind of thing. But the question that the apostles are asking, and I, and I think a question that is um, often asked, right, even today, about when is this going to happen? When is that going to happen? It's not just about when. And in fact, it's almost not ever about when. There's other questions behind that that, that really tap into what's going on in our hearts. I mean, we might ask the question, when will I retire? When will I have financial security? When will I get married? When will I get my driver's license? Or when will it all fall apart? Or even, when will we all finally get back together in person? And again, Jesus says uh, in response to this, God's Spirit will come upon you and you are to be my witnesses. Jesus doesn't stop at the when. Because behind the question, when will this happen, are a whole slew of other questions, like maybe, maybe even more important questions, like should I be scared? How should I prepare for this? Are we going to be okay? What am I supposed to do? And of course, the Spirit will come upon you, and you are to be my witnesses. We are to be witnesses of Christ. Uh, And let me just highlight two things about that. Much could be said. To be a witness of Christ means, of course, to proclaim that Jesus is the King, that Jesus is the Lord. This is highlighted throughout the book of Acts and throughout the whole New Testament, quite frankly. The world has a king. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. That is partially what it means to be a witness of Jesus. And the word that is often used for this is evangelism, right? That means to to go out and proclaim the good news. And what is that good news? Jesus is the king, right? He can bring about salvation, forgiveness, healing, these kinds of things. There's another way to think about being a witness for Jesus, and that is demonstrating our loyalty and our surrender to our King Jesus. Because what does it look like? 
when a life is completely surrendered to Jesus as the king? What does it look like when a church surrenders to the kingship of Jesus? When we bear witness to Jesus in this way, what are we standing for? What do we promote? What do we talk about? What do we emphasize? When we bear witness to Jesus, how do we engage with a community or one another? What do we hope for? How do we respond when we are hurt? How do we respond when we are criticized? How do we respond to trials and to suffering? On Wednesday, I offered this prayer that we can pray. Jesus, if you were me, what would you do? All right. One last uh, observation about this text. These Jesus followers, these apostles, are gathered together around the promise and the hope of Christ's return. That Jesus will be back, right? He's going to have another advent. Okay, first, let me be clear, right? The, the story here of the ascension of Jesus, he's uh, taken up into a cloud while they were watching. But let's be clear that this is not Luke, uh, the book of, or, or the writer Luke telling us, uh, Luke wrote Acts, he also wrote Luke, of course. Luke is not saying that Jesus kind of beamed up and, z- and zipped into outer space, right? That's not what he's saying. Um, Luke is not saying that Jesus flew so high up into the clouds that you couldn't see him anymore, that he's on the moon or on Mars or Neptune or further out somewhere. That's not at all what Luke is trying to say. He didn't just, he's not flying in outer space somewhere. As cool as a picture that that might be, that's not what Luke is saying. The imagery of a cloud should not bring us to think about whether, here, should not make us think about weather patterns or cloud types or altitude. Instead, we should be thinking about how the imagery of a cloud is used in the Old Testament. That's the key. And two thoughts, um, two things I want to highlight here. First, So often in the Old Testament, the sign of God's presence is called and described in terms of a cloud or smoke. I think, for example, when the the children of Israel are, are in the wilderness wandering and God is leading them, it says that there was a pillar of smoke or a a great cloud that, um, uh, that guided them. Maybe even, um, powerful than that is when, when the temple was built and the presence of God filled the temple, it was described as a thick cloud descending into the temple. And the temple was the, if you will, a portal into the heavenly realm. In fact, the Holy of Holies was kind of this portal between earth and God's uh, domain, heaven, if you, uh, if you will. Often it is referred to as Bible. And so when Luke says Jesus was sort of enveloped by this cloud, what Luke is saying is that Jesus was entering the realm of God. That's what he's saying. Not that he's, you know, Jesus is flying out or, or in outer space. 
But there's another example of a cloud in the Old Testament that I think Luke has in mind here. And it comes to us in the book of Daniel chapter 7. And there, Daniel the prophet says that there was one like the Son of Man brought up on the clouds to the Ancient of Days. Daniel's having these visions of kingdoms rising and falling, and then one like the Son of Man in a cloud coming to the realm of God. And when the one like the Son of Man comes into the presence of the Almighty, this one like the Son of Man is given all the power over the nations. He's given power over evil. He's given power over chaos. And so here, Jesus ascending in a cloud is the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7. It's powerful stuff. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, the proper ruler of God's creation. And Jesus is continuing to make all things new. Jesus is doing this now in the realm of God, sending the Holy Spirit to God's people, that one day the realm of creation and the realm of God's presence will be reconnected. This is the vision of the Bible. The realm of God, united with the realm of earth, and God's home being among God's people. This is, for example, the whole vision of Revelation chapter 21. Where, it's, where New Jerusalem is described as descending onto earth, and um, it's described as, as like a bride uh, coming to her groom, uh, adorned and dr- all dressed up. And this idea of Christ's return, the vision that we see in Revelation 21, the, this beautiful vision, is why I get saddened. This is just me. I can only speak for myself. I get saddened when the return of Jesus is talked about more in terms of fear and terror than of hope. It saddens me when that happens. I know that's happening now. That Christ's return is something we should be scared of. It's not. Not as Christ's people. When the return of Jesus is spoken of in these terms, laced with like horror, I get sad. I remember when I was a boy, um, and I, I, I prayed a prayer. This was about maybe four weeks before Christmas. And I was excited about opening my presents, as most children are. And I must have known something of Jesus' return at the time, because I remember vividly praying, Dear God, please don't let Jesus return until after Christmas so that I can open my presents. (laughs) As though life before Christ's return is somehow better than life will be after Christ's return, because it won't be. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 speaks of Christ's return as something we should encourage one another with. That when Christ returns, this is a hope for us and something we should talk about in terms of encouragement. Sadly, there are preachers who do the exact opposite. Now, will Christ's return be fully embraced by those who stand for evil? 
Will those who cling to immorality or corruption, murder, wickedness, uh, will those things be able to stand against the fullness of Christ's reign? The one who overcomes injustice with love? No, they won't. Those things will not be able to stand against the rule of Jesus. But for those who are marked by God and who have been gathered together under Jesus, that day will be like finally arriving home. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, um, we're thankful for today. We're, we're, we can, I'm sure, hear the rain at different points. And I pray that this rain might remind us, one, of the cloud of your presence. That it would also remind us of the water of life. That's you, Jesus, the water of life. I pray that if there's anyone who can hear this right now, who needs encouragement, that your spirit would encourage them today. That if there is fear, if there is worry, if there is concern, and I know there is, that your spirit, God, would surround them with your presence. That they would be able to access the places where you are and that their heart might be flooded with peace, with hope, and with courage. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our hope. Amen.